Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, August 4th. Welcome, Dave Spano, Derek Felsky, and uh, Mark Oswald. Holy cow, do we have a big show today? This was quite a week. It sure was. We had a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining us, Derek. Let's start with where the uh, the S&P is. You know, 2872, it touched off. And it's a number that we haven't seen since January. You think about that. If you were unlucky enough to come in in January, you're flat. Right. Well, we're within 1% of the all-time highs, although we know that small caps have made new highs. The NASDAQ has as well. And it was a generally a positive week. The NASDAQ was up a little over 1%, the S&P up half a percent, and uh, the Russell 2000 up almost 1%. So we go through earnings season, and that's where we are right now, Mark. And uh, what we've seen is 80-some, 80 83% right. of companies have reported, and about three-quarters of those companies have beat. Well, beat on the bottom line, which is the earnings number, and then on the revenue line as well. And there were some notable names in there. But the thing that struck me this week was the sell in May and go away crowd. You know, when you talk about that seasonality and the fear of the market over the summer months, that really hasn't held true again this year, and that's a few years in a row. No, in fact, the S&P is now up four consecutive months, and the last 11 times that that occurred from April to July, it gained another 10.5% in the final five months of the year, so that certainly bodes well for returns going into year-end. But I wouldn't whistle past the graveyard quite yet. It is August, and trading volume does decrease for lots of reasons, You know, particularly the New Yorkers, Derek. They start to head out to the Hamptons. Well, they do. And, you know, I did notice that the VIX, you know, the fear index is now below 12, which is near its lowest level of the year. So there certainly is a lot of complacency. A lot of folks don't think markets are going to move that dramatically in the next month or so. But I think the the week was really punctuated by Apple, Dave, something that, you know, you actually won that bet. I thought Amazon would get to a trillion dollars in market cap before Apple, and you thought Apple, and you were correct. So don't look now at the compliance guy, but he is paying me a couple of scalotas right now under the table. So, no, that's right. <laughs> uh, Apple was, and it's a big deal. The first uh, trillion-dollar company, and think about that. Uh, it's Well, I shouldn't say that it was the first. In fact, there was another company that has gotten to a trillion dollars, but not in the U.S. markets. There was a pet petrol China was a billion-dollar company. PetroChina, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And, and so this was the first U.S. company at a trillion. But it was, how do they get there? I mean, that, that becomes the interesting part of that company is you look at the price per unit. The number of units that they sold was about flat, but when the price per unit is up 20%, that gets to profitability, and that, that raises that stock price. That's right. Those higher-end iPhones sell for just about $1,000 a unit. Um, some people thought folks would bulk at that kind of price tag, but clearly the Apple ecosystem continues to drive revenue growth. And it wasn't just the iPhone that did well. Also, their service business continues to ramp up, growing over 40%. And that iWatch, which many people thought was a clunker on the first edition, is now starting to gain more and more adherence. Staying in the tech sector, there is also news that came out of Facebook, which was not really that good news. That was a week ago. And, and basically, we saw it with Twitter and Facebook, where monthly average users declined. I mean, certainly Facebook's gotten a lot of publicity 
universities about privacy concerns and the like. Uh, the EU recently fined Google about $5 billion for using their Android system in an anti-competitive way. It's probably likely that Facebook is going to remain under scrutiny de- depending upon how they handle these privacy issues, which will cost them money in terms of staffing compliance folks and the rest. So you look at companies like Apple and Amazon and Microsoft and Google and their parent company, Alphabet, and they get to be a larger and larger portion of the S&P 500 and ETFs that are traded that way. Do we get to get to... Do we get to a point where there's some company risk in these indexes because they're so heavily weighted in these single companies? Well, in in the past, you know, ExxonMobil was once the largest company in the S&P 500. At another point, Microsoft was. To the degree that Apple is the largest weighting, yes, I I guess you could say that. However, Apple is not an expensive stock. When you strip out the amount of the cash that they've got, it's trading it below an S&P multiple and growing at some multiple of the S&P 500. So what's the plan for all this money? I mean, we're sitting on lots and lots of cash if you're Apple. Is it stock buybacks? Do we expect to see that after earnings season ends here? Are we going to see some stock buyback announcements? Well, we, we saw that in the first quarter, Apple did about $20 billion in stock buybacks. There have been all sorts of buybacks announced. For example, Qualcomm, which basically suffered because that NXP deal got scuttled, is going to do a $30 billion buyback on a stock that has an $87 billion market cap. So that just gives you some sense of the levels of cash that are on some of these tech companies' balance sheets. Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer. Dave Spano, Scalota or Bitcoin? Which do you choose? I'll, t- I'll take the Bitcoin. No, don't take that as a recommendation. Scalota is pretty good, too. All right. A uh, lot of show to come, including our advice for Aaron Rodgers if he walked in the halls of uh, Annex Wealth Management. Also, a 401k updates on the way. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. I'm Danny Clayton. Dan Spano's here, Derek Felsky, and Mark Oswald. So the estimates were 21%, and most earnings are 24%. Was that it? Yeah, Danny. Um, at the beginning of earnings season, uh, analysts were forecasting 21% earnings growth uh, in the S&P 500, following 25% in the first quarter. And we're running right around those levels, 24% with a high beat rate, as Dave and Mark discussed earlier in the program. Uh, so corporate America continues to do very well. And for those that think earnings are going to peak, uh, forecast for Q3 and Q4 for 20% earnings growth as well. So the U.S. economy is on, on very strong footing. Corporations are doing very well. And one of the key catalysts for higher stock prices has been the announcement of buybacks, which occurs after earnings releases. So we look at all of that information. We have great earnings report. You know, most of the companies have reported. And we have a great GDP number, which we haven't covered quite yet, as well as what you just talked about, which is stock buybacks and dividend increases. And you would think that all things are roses. Let's Before we get to that, though, the GDP report was pretty good. It wasn't as good as expected, but it was a plus 4% number. Yes, Dave. The GDP report last week was very strong. At first time, we saw a 4% number in over four years. And the Atlanta Fed, which does a decent job of forecasting future GDP growth, is looking for 4.7% growth mark in the third quarter. GDP is gross domestic product. It's a measurement of all the goods and services that are produced by the U.S. economy. It's the standard by which we measure how the economy is growing. When that number is a positive 4%, 
then that leads to good things like employment numbers and consumer spending and all those things that drive the economy. So that's why we spend time talking about it, because it does affect investors at the end of the day. Well, and it certainly would ref- would suggest that earnings growth, these earnings growth forecasts that, that are currently believed are, are probably maybe even conservative. So earnings are doing great. The one thing I would caution investors, though, is for the, in the last five years, much of the return from stocks has been from multiple expansion. So this year, the, the market is actually not going up as quickly as earnings are. So in, in actuality, the multiple on the S&P 500 earnings currently is lower than it was at the beginning of the year, even though we're near all-time highs. And if you are a casual listener, I think we need to explain that, Mark. What, when he says multiple expansion, explain that to everybody. So when you look at the stock market this year, so the S&P 500, let's say it's up 5%, but earnings are up 24% this quarter, and they were up 25% in the first quarter and projected to be up in the third and fourth quarters, earnings are growing faster than the market index is growing. So therefore, it shrinks the price-to-earnings ratio. The price of the overall index to the earnings becomes a smaller number. A smaller number generally says that the market is better valued or undervalued at some point in time. So that's important is when we look at earnings growth versus the return on the market, as that number shrinks, the market becomes less and less expensive. So we look at all of this evidence that we have, GDP report, earnings reports uh, doing well, stock buybacks, but that doesn't mean that the market can't get choppy as we head into August because historically it has. No, it has, and, and certainly in midterm election years, the market tends to go sideways in the four or five months leading up to the November elections. And with some question about how the House House election will go in particular, it's, it's likely to expect volatility. I mean, I'm, I'm never comfortable when the VIX is trading below 12 because that suggests people don't see any any dark clouds on the horizon. But, but as we all know, coming in in the morning, you know, all it takes is one tweet and we're we're down 200 points, but it's, but recently that has not been a lasting effect. Derek, sometimes when you say tweet, I think trade, because the, the T word has been really important to the market so far this year with what's been going on with the U.S. and China and the U.S. and Europe. And the U.S. and Europe have kind of come to at least some agreement as to accommodation of the two economies, and that might put more pressure on China. It certainly seems like the Trump administration is pivoting towards China. In fact, this week they they talked about uh, imposing 25 percent tariffs, not 10 percent tariffs, on $200 billion of uh, Chinese imports. The Chinese then responded, suggesting they'll they'll do tariffs on $60 billion of U.S. exports. So the tit-for-tat negotiations in the headlines continues. But I'll tell you, for, for investors who've been reacting to those headlines, it's not been a profitable strategy. It seems like every time we go down on trade concerns, we, we bounce back by the end of the day. And, you know, I just can't help but, but think if this Chinese situation does resolve itself in a more positive way or we start to see progress there, what do you think the stock market would do then? You don't see a lot of the coverage, but China's hurting. The well, stock market's way is. down. Their manufacturing is off. It is. And you look at just the currency as, as a comparison to the U.S. dollar. And that's been down quite a bit, I believe 6%. The, the, the dollar's getting stronger, but their market has been down. In fact, they have been in a bear market. So the, Danny is right about that, that they are feeling some pressure, and the dollar is getting stronger. So that would make the argument for domestic stocks. And I think we need to talk about some more of that. And there's a lot of other topics that I want to cover. So could you stick around for another segment? Absolutely. All right. Uh, 1021 WTMJ. It's Money Talk. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Know the difference. Get a plan. You can get the free portfolio analysis when you do that. The difference is team. It is technology. It is trust. It's Annex Wealth Management. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 
Team technology trust. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, number 12, Packers quarterback, future Hall of Fame, really, really wealthy. What problems could he possibly have? I say none. But when it comes to financial planning, even Aaron Rodgers needs a plan. So we're going to go hypothetical. Joining me is Ron Johnson, senior financial planner, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Ron. Hey, Danny. How are you doing today? Good. You going to strap the helmet on? Uh, no. Good. <laughs> All right. Mandy Nowashinsky, our tax planner, our wet blanket. Yeah, very much. You always put the spin of realism on that, yes. which I really, really like. It's funny. Ron, you wrote a great article, which is in this week's Axiom, and it talks about Aaron Rodgers and him needing a plan. His career earnings are over $137 million. His estimated net worth is about $30 million. First for you, Mandy, how does that math work? Makes $137 million, only has $30 million. Let me guess, it rhymes with laxes. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you always got to think half of that's going in taxes. So, Ron, Aaron walks in needs a plan. What kind of things do we talk to him about? Yeah, so where do you start? Well, the first place we're going to start is where you want to understand what his goals are. The goal that almost everyone has, and, and the starting point for us would be, when do you want to retire? And then we want to look at the goal would be to transition your current lifestyle from here into retirement. So we don't want to have, have him have to take a haircut on how much he spends when he retires. Not that we see everything he does, but it looks like he doesn't live really extravagantly. I mean, he goes places. He's got a new girlfriend. They go to the Indianapolis <laughs> 500. You know, they go to the Kentucky Derby. He's, he's not a yacht guy. Right. And really what we want to understand is you know, say he's spending $2 million a year right now, because now we want to build a plan when he retires that models that same amount of spending so we can still do the same things that he does today. But he'll have that, won't he? To that point, the same thing you do with Aaron Rodgers is the same thing you need to do personally. The numbers are just different. You know, he may have extra zeros at the end, but you or I, you know, we need to go through the same planning process. But that's not always the case. you got to take your spending in line with your income. We saw the stat that up to 80% of NFL players are bankrupt with within five years of leaving their active careers. I don't think it's going to be the case with him, but he still needs a plan. He, he does. We want to think about retirement goal, and then we want to think about his other goals in retirement as well. And then what we do is model spending. For him, it could be as long as 40 or 50 years. Does he want to work in retirement? Does he want to be an analyst? Does he want to be a coach? Does he want to work maybe something simple as a high school coach? You know, so what does he want to do to occupy his time? What are some of his big spending goals? Does he want a private island off the coast of Florida? <laughs> hey, you can get that one in Pewaukee. Right? right, yeah. Does he want a couple of Lamborghinis? You know, what are some of the things that he wants to accomplish? Now, obviously, his list might be very different than yours or mine, but it's still something that we want to account for and model in his plan. So, Mandy, his taxes, I don't know how his deal is structured, but after a while, the paychecks stop. Right. He gets a pension yet, Ron. What did you find? How much? His pension could be 800000 dollars a year. That is a decent amount of income stream still coming in after retirement. You and get taxed on pension? You do get taxed on your pension. And again, however NFL structure those, generally your pension is taxed, you know, also in the state you live in. And with Aaron, tax rates in California, much higher than tax rates in Wisconsin. And we know he owns two houses, just like a lot of people listening. They may have two houses, one here and one in Florida. They may think about moving to Florida to save on taxes. Maybe Aaron comes to Wisconsin. Is it a problem that he lives in California? I mean, is no. it an expensive problem? It's an expensive problem, yes, but as you state, he has $30 million. It's just, you know, planning for that expensive tax. As far as investment vehicles, does a guy like that, Ron, does he get into the exotic type stuff? Is he doing, is he venture capital and things like that? Yeah, see, when you start talking about that stuff, the first thing you need to think about is risk. The first thing we would do if he was a client of ours is understand what's called his risk tolerance. How much could he lose in six months and he still feel comfortable with that amount, right? So if he lost, say, a million dollars 
in the next six months. Would that keep him up at night? We want to understand that. We want to understand what his tolerance is. And then we layer on time horizon. How long this investment has to last? And we put those two pieces together to come up with a portfolio mix for him that would mix some equities in with some fixed income uh, to achieve his goals. So he likes music. If he starts up a music business, it's okay for him to lose a million dollars. What about from a tax standpoint? Does a loss like that help? Yeah, it can. I mean, you're always walking a thin line when you start a business and you generate losses, you know, in perpetuity. But there is, you know, if he would start a business, lose a lot of money, and then kind of just walk away from it, there are some tax benefits to that. But you got to understand, he still lost all that money. You can't recoup that. Right. A deduction is not better than the loss itself. Right. Yeah. So let's say you lose a million. Yeah. So if, again, say he's 50% for easy math, he get a tax break of, you know, 500000 but he's still out, you know, the net difference. So, you know, in our world, you know, we're adding zeros to this because it's Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, that could apply to a lot of people. Where do we find more zeros? That's what I right. mean. Right. <laughs> right. The other thing we need to consider, Aaron Rodgers should consider in retirement, is the quality of life. Right now, his value to society is he, he was a successful collegiate quarterback, and now, of course, he's been the leader of the Green Bay Packers and, and an incredible quarterback for this time. And that gives him a sense of value, a sense of purpose. When he retires, that goes away from a psychological standpoint. So the question is, that he needs to answer is when he wakes up in the morning after retirement, what is his goals going to be? What What's going to get him out of bed in the morning? And what does he want to accomplish? Because that's going to be important because that's going to be a big component of happiness in retirement. It's more than just jumping into a giant hot tub of money. <laughs> right. Not to scare our listeners here, but, you know, he may be five years away from retirement. You know, a lot of people, that's their highest earning years, just like Aaron's highest earning years are ahead of him. You know, he's in a similar position where he's making more money than he has in the past. And then he also has this income cliff coming where, you know, it may stop. You know, and that's where, the, you know, as Ron said, the planning of spending comes in and trying to model that with your current income flows. You were talking about, well, what if he wants to open a music business or, or something like that? Businesses come with a lot of risk. So he's got to be careful of that. You don't want to take on a gigantic business that your friend said, hey, this is going to be a great deal. You can't lose here. That's where a nice, well-diversified portfolio for the majority of retirement assets can mitigate some risk. What would we do if Aaron Rodgers walked in the hallways of uh, Annex Wealth Management? Kind of that, but we can do that for you. Mandy, thanks for jumping on. Thanks. Ron, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. It's a retirement plan services party here on the show. Uh, welcome, Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, and Joanne Bell, your teammate. Hey, Joanne. Hi. Thanks for having us. So I saw an article, basically it was the top three mistakes you can make when it comes to retirement planning. The first one was about 401k, and that's why you guys are in here. Uh, number one, forgetting to update your 401k contributions. This one is a head scratcher. It says, to make the most of your 401k contributions, it's important to update the amount you contribute based on financial changes in your life. If I'm contributing 6% and I get a raise, I'm still doing 6%. On that one, I would say, yes, I agree. Now, if you get a raise, the 6% that you're putting in is a 6% of a bigger number. So if that's what you mean by the confusion, I agree with you on that. However, we do tell people when they start saving frequently, you know, you should be saving somewhere between 10 and 15%. Well, that's a big number for a lot of people. So we tell them to start with something that they're a little bit more comfortable with on the lower end. And then when you do get a raise, when things happen, use that as an opportunity to increase that contribution incrementally till you get to that higher number. That's your ultimate goal. 
Joanne, when they say 10 to 15 percent and people kind of choke a little bit, shouldn't they at least try it? Absolutely, and kind of. So I sit down with a lot of people individually, and we will walk through their actual finances and determine what does that 10 to 15 percent actually equate to. Oftentimes, it's not as large of a number as you're really thinking it is. And while that's a goal, that's not necessarily where I recommend everyone start. We'll start with like 6 percent, and then every year increase it by that 1 percent. So the raise is the easiest time to do that because those are dollars you didn't budget for so you're not necessarily going to be missing that if you increase it to seven percent then when you get your next raise you got to be kind of a counselor sort of if you said to somebody listen what are you paying each month for cable most definitely we are um, creatures of habit and we definitely all spend within our means toys are a fun like reward for us for all of the hard work we've put in to get those dollars so i walk through different scenarios with employees to help them understand how this will ultimately make you feel good it's just a delayed gratification The automatic 1% bump up a year, Tom, you can set that so you don't forget it. Yeah. Most record-keeping platforms will allow you to elect a certain amount. So say I want it to go up by 1% for four years and then cap out. And then you can usually say when you want that to happen. That is a record-keeper by record-keeper thing, though. So not necessarily everybody has that, but it's worth looking into because more and more do. An employer matches up to a certain percentage. Is there ever a reason or a cause that would make sense for somebody to to contribute past that? We usually look at that as the minimum that you should do. So a lot of times people say to us, oh yeah, I'm maxing out my 401k. And then we talk to them, well, no, actually you're putting away 6% because that's where your match goes. For sure, you should at least be putting in what you're getting for the match. That is the baseline minimum, right? Because there are plans that don't have a match at all. And in those plans, it still makes sense to save. What's the percentage of companies that don't match? It varies. There um, are a few. Is it low? Or is it high? Is it? You either match or you don't. And then if you do match, what's the formula? But there are companies that don't match that just provide a contribution. Actually, we get that here at Annex. So whether you contribute to the plan or not, you're going to get a contribution from the company. That is technically not a match. So there are lots of different kinds of company contributions. When it comes to match, tons of different kinds of matches. The retirement plan services team in, Tom Parks and Joanne Bell. Pretty close quote from a friend. I don't get it. So Annex can set up a 401k program at my employer, and it's like, yes. He says, well, what are the details? And I said, I'll ask Tom. Whether it's setting up a plan or working with a plan that's already in place. The nice thing about working with Annex and us being an independent fiduciary firm is that the provider, the actual place where the money is, the custodian, the record keeper, we're agnostic on that. Obviously, we want you to be working with a good partner, but and that part's going to vary depending on the size of your plan, the number of employees that you have, geographic location. So we look at all those things. We work with very large employers. We work with shops with as few as four or five people to customize a plan that's going to work for them specifically. Joanne, who at a company is usually responsible for the 401k? That can vary depending on the size of the company. Sometimes it's the HR person. Sometimes it's the CFO. Some companies, it's a smaller shop and it's just the owner. Or in larger firms, we've seen committees set up where they have a a variety of different employees within their firm. It's a big-ish responsibility though, right? It's a very big responsibility. So regardless of who is in charge of that plan, all too often people overlook the fact that they themselves are acting in a fiduciary capacity. So we focus a lot on helping those planned fiduciaries execute their duties as a fiduciary. And there's a whole lot more to a retirement plan from a firm like ours than just which investments are in our lineup. Does Annex administer 401ks? Great question. Uh, No, we do not. We act as an investment advisor. There are multiple fiduciaries in a retirement plan. There's a 316 administrative fiduciary. 
they're 321, 338. These are all obviously obnoxious industry terms, but they're very important. We go to 340. Of right, yeah, right, exactly. We act as an investment advisor. So the plan administrator almost always is technically going to be the employer, but there are other parties that perform those administrative functions from a practical standpoint. So whether it's a third party administrator or maybe you're at a fully bundled record keeper, those things are, are not responsibilities that we have. We just integrate with them. Joanne, you'll like this. I know somebody whose company is being bought by another one and Annex actually advises their 401k. So what can they expect? They'll see you, I guess. And they absolutely will. They can expect some correspondence to come from Tom and I. We'll likely do a video introducing us as the advisors for their 401k plan, welcoming them to the new firm. And then I'll be on site to meet with everyone individually to go through what they have and make sure that they understand how their plan works. Another thing that we do is financial wellness. How's that going, Tom? It's coming along. We're pretty excited about that process. It's it's a new offering for us as a firm specifically, but it really is part of our culture all along. So it's just an extension of what we've been doing and taking it out to big groups of people. It's really exciting. Joanne Bell, Retirement Plan Services. Thank you for coming in. I hope you come back. Thank you. Tom, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a good time. 1042 WTMJ back in a bit. Know the difference. You can start at AnnexWealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, good show so far, still a lot to cover. Boy, this was a crazy week. There, it really was, and one of the things that we didn't get to earlier in the show, Mark, is that on Friday, it was Jobs Friday. It was, and we were looking for a big number, about 190,000 jobs was the market watch estimate. Came in at 157,000 jobs. They were good jobs. I mean, and I think it's important to get into that number a little bit, Derek, because when you're looking at the jobs that were lost, a lot of them were government jobs, and a lot of them were in the education sector. You expect that in the summertime. But there were some good jobs in those job numbers. There were. And in fact, in addition to that, the unemployment rate fell from 4% to, to 3.9%. And wages remained somewhat muted, growing only 2.7% on an annualized basis. So clearly not a, a jobs number that really unnerved the Fed in terms of the labor market becoming too hot. But it did suggest that some qualified folks are starting to find jobs. The average uh, hourly earnings were up significantly and, and basically just reinforces the strength of the U.S. economy. And why that's important is because the Federal Reserve clearly looks at the jobs report as one of their key indicators of what they should do next. And as you, we all know, the Fed raised rates, and it looked like Chairman Powell was giddy just about uh, on raising rates because the economy was so good. But at some point, does raising rates unnerve the market, I think that's something we need to watch. Well, and that's something that, that Jamie Dimon, the chairman of Citicorp, mentioned uh, during the week, that historically the Fed will tighten until something breaks. And his fear is that at some point, if the Fed continues to raise rates, it'll become a significant headwind for the U.S. economy, and it won't be able to absorb that, particularly as the U.S. Treasury is forced to fund an increasingly large debt burden due in part to the tax cuts that passed earlier this year. And we saw, even though that they raised rates, the 10-year Treasury which is controlled by the market, where the short-term rate is controlled by the Fed, the 10-year Treasury declined, which was really interesting to me. So moving on from that, you did mention something that was interesting, and that's the fiscal stimulus, and that is something that we haven't seen. When we talk about the Fed all along, that was monetary stimulus because the Fed controlled it. That baton was handed over when we had fiscal stimulus, and we have not seen the complete effects of that yet. No, we haven't. In fact, uh, the repatriation rules just, just got announced by the Treasury Department, and in addition to that, the CapEx expenditures, which are able to be fully expensed in year one, are just starting to be felt. In fact, we saw really strong 
on CapEx growth and in, in some of the recent economic data. You know, I, I mentioned the, the jobs number on Friday, 157, but there were some revisions for May and June as well, so another 59,000 jobs there, and that's what probably dropped that unemployment rate down to 3.9%. So even though the number didn't exactly hit ex- where people had expected it to, the numbers were good. Everything that you guys are talking about, from repatriation to the fiscal policy, you know, and I, and I try not to be too positive, but the fact is is that there's a lot of good things that are going on right now for investors. Yeah, but as I said, now yeah, we're going to get into August, and yep, in September, bet. we're going to have the next Fed meeting, and they could raise rates despite the fact that maybe all of the evidence is not there. And of course, then following that, you have midterm elections. All of those things could unnerve the markets from now until November. No doubt. You certainly could have some volatility in there. You think about the percentage chance that we're going to get a rate raise in September, and that number is about 90% right now. And the two rate raises are around 60% chance. So if you if you look at that, I always ask the question, how much of that is absorbed into the market already? If it's a 90% possibility that it's going to happen, have the traders already absorbed that? I, I certainly think they've absorbed the, the notion of a September rate increase. In fact, the FOMC minutes this week suggested this, the economy is stronger than the Fed had thought in their prior report. So September seems baked in the cake. Whether we get a, a, a second rate hike in December, I think a lot will have a lot to do with how this trade situation unwinds, how uh, people react, how businesses react, how, co- how consumers react to uh, strong economy, plentiful jobs, but also potential headwinds from a trade war. And we talk about themes that we could look at for the rest of the year, and clearly we've just talked about them. We have the Fed and the path that they're going to take, the dot plots. That is something the market has to closely watch. For sure is the Fed. The second, and I think is a, is a big deal, is trade tensions. Trade tensions are going to continue, and I'm just not talking about China. We have the NAFTA agreement in place, and even though EU has made some progress, that is still in play as well. Right. There is some uncertainty out there, and you know, in, in some ways, if you think about it, what a great time to consider a trade change is when the U.S. economy is this strong. You've got sort of the economic momentum uh, that you mentioned earlier about how the U.S. is essentially growing at a faster rate than just about anywhere else in the world, and that gives, I guess, the Trump administration some leverage in these negotiations. Well, and the other thing, we talk a lot about the Fed and our central bank, but there's central banks around the world that we also have to keep an eye on as an investment committee. We look at the Bank of Japan made some changes this week. The European Central Bank is still out there, certainly a big player in mo- in uh, monetary policy. There are a lot of things to look at, but do those things outside the United States, we focus on the Fed, or do we have to look at monetary policy around the world? Last week, we heard from Laura Garretts, that fund manager from uh, right. Ronder Global. And if you recall, she mentioned that the headlines in emerging markets aren't don't really truly reflect reality, that a lot of these countries are leapfrogging the United States in terms of their use of technology. So, you know, when we build these portfolios, of course, we have a lot of exposure to the U.S. stock market, but we also believe you want to have a balance to your portfolio because at some point, U.S. stocks will face a headwind. Economic growth here will slow and peak, and better opportunities will probably surface overseas. And we look at this show, Derek, and I appreciate your time today, but I look at this show as kind of education, Mark, in, in the sure. fact that we're educating the listeners, but there is an explosion of investment vehicles. There is a complexity that we're seeing in the market right now, and I think Derek's right on point that a balanced portfolio is is the way to go. It is, and it's part of the thesis of our investment committee on an ongoing basis is looking at diversification as a way to take advantage tactically of different sectors. It's what we own. It's what we don't own sometimes that that leads to the return for our investors. But balancing it against risk is always part of the challenge as well. So when we sit down with our clients, we're looking at it from a risk standpoint first and then portfolio construction from there. Derek Felsky, uh, good luck this weekend. Stay out of the rough. Thanks very much. 
All right. The uh, tax holiday, two more days. Details on that next. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, AnnexWealth.com. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back, Mandy Noshinsky. Thank you for staying. Thanks for letting me stay. So um, you're a tax planner at Annex Wealth Management. You're a mom. You're a wise spender. So when you say pay attention to something, I do. And the sales tax holiday is on now, got going on Wednesday, and goes through Sunday. Kind of a big deal. It is. So every year the state has a sales tax holiday, generally back to schools, what it's used for. But they actually had a surplus in funds this year. The state of Wisconsin did. So what they decided to do was expand the sales tax holiday to more than just your typical pens, pencils, and school supplies. So they had a surplus, so they didn't necessarily need the tax. Is that it? I mean, wh- why? Is it right. just to stimulate sales? Yeah, stimulate sales. And they, you know, just like, you know, they had more income than they anticipated. So they're allowing us to have a little bit of a break. It's interesting because I walked around the office and I asked people, v- various ages, if they knew that this sales tax holiday was going and if they were going to take advantage of it. And kind of the assumption was it was really school supplies only, mm-hmm. but that's not true. If you really look at the list, yeah. there's lots of stuff that mm-hmm. me, not having kids in school anymore, could take advantage of. Right. And that's, you know, they're probably thinking of the past 10 years or so where it really just has been school supplies that it's been on. But this year is, yeah, significantly different. They have expanded the list to, you know, clothes. The mm-hmm. three categories I'm seeing, yeah. clothing, 75 or less computers for personal use, and then school computer supplies. So it does kind of lean towards school, but not really. I'm looking at clothing. I mean, belts, boots, coats, jackets, shoes, formal wear, gloves, jeans, neckties, rainwear. Yeah, that's a pretty big list. Almost everything is, yeah. Okay, so... Probably the best idea for people is is look at this list and see what they need to buy mm-hmm. and then do it, right? Right, yeah. I mean, you've got your needs and your wants, something we, you know, we always talk about. But it, yeah, if you need new clothes, now's a good time because you're going to get, depending on where you live, your sales tax might be 5 to 5.5%. I mean, that's, you know, just a free savings right there for you. Is this time because we're in mid-August and school is approaching? Mm-hmm. So ironically enough, last week I got my school supply list emailed to me. So they're, you know, they're anticipating people going out, I think, this weekend and buying school supplies and the like. So you're a mom of two boys. I am. Two boys, and boys go through stuff. <laughs> they do. Right. So you, And you're going to combine this. So you're going to go to a major retailer who's got a, like a, another percentage off. And exactly. You're going you're gonna to work this. I am. I'm going to get use out of the sales tax holiday. Okay. So you are the tax planner here at Annex Wealth Management. You say it's legit. It is. It's legit. Okay. School year's approaching. Let's talk real quick about people that need to uh, write out checks for institutions, Mm -hmm. and that would be colleges or private schools. Right. So we've gotten a lot of questions lately about that college bill is coming or that private school tuition bill is coming. How do we pay for that? You know, you look at your funds. A lot of people do have Advest 529 plans. You know, that's where the tax-free savings go for education. This year is the first year that you can use the 529 plan to pay for private school tuition. That was part of tax reform. So if you have a kid going to a private high school in Wisconsin, you can use $10,000 from your 529 plan to pay for that school. And you get your school supplies without sales tax. So you're, you're on your way. 
which would mean you'd probably need a kind of a big boatload of, in a 529, you, right? If you're, you you're paying for private school and you still have to send a kid to college. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's balancing the two. You know, if you have a kid in a private high school, you know, college is just going to be as expensive. So do you want to use the 529 plan funds to pay for high school or you just want to save them and let them grow for college? Because in the state of Wisconsin, you do get a tax break for paying out of pocket to a private high school. So there's a deduction for that, too. So it's kind of balancing all those tax ramifications. Of course, there's guidelines, and for new parents that are, right, you know, maybe sending their first one to college, there's guidelines on what you can spend that money on. Mm -hmm. But um, from the 529 plan, it's, you know, it's very wide range and reaching. So um, obviously tuition, supplies, that computer, you know, room and board. Room and board. Yeah. Okay. So all, you know, but so people may, you know, if you start saving from the time you have a kid or if grandparents have started to save into a 529 plan, you know, you can start accessing those funds now for all of those expenses. How about U.S. savings bond? People use those? So they do. So you, you're you allowed to redeem your U.S. savings bonds and not pay interest on them if it's used for tuition. There's a lot of rules around it. But just know if you've got, you know, kids, you know, clipped in your basement in that safe, all those U.S. savings bonds that may be able to redeem them to help pay for college. Gotcha. Mandy Nowyshinski is our tax planner. She's a mom. She's a wise spender. We're talking about the sales tax holiday, which goes through Sunday. Do it. Do it, yes. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.